You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. Tuesday, 29 November, the Enbro Dynamic Compound Portfolio lists today. I'm Simon Brown, coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. Better Investor Conference kicks off this morning at 9 o'clock, running all day. It's virtual, it's free. MoneyWeb.coza for more information. On the show today, we're chatting with uh, Jimmy Moyoho. We're going to touch on that Zeda listing, not that Zeda, the other Zeda, uh, and then that City Lodge update, which was, uh, frankly, a really good update, market alignment. Liked it. Uh, Stephen Joffe from Invicta. Decent results, but they skip the dividend. We'll ask him about that. Uh, and then Dina Zocolo from Westbrook talking private debt. Uh, it's distinct from private equity, but private debt investing uh, and the sort of returns and risks that you can get. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines from MoneyWeb. NERSA subcommittee recommends a drastic increase in ESCOM's diesel budget. Well, yeah, except, of course, regulated to decide if ESCOM gets a 32% increase because, well, they've got to pay for the diesel. Business Day, Standard Bank sees strong momentum across all its markets. Africa's biggest lender reports double-digit net interest income growth as rising interest rates boost earnings. For morning markets, the US was red. S&P down 1.5%. And as to go off 1.4%, Asia is mixed. Sydney is up 0.1%, and Tokyo down 0.6%. Commodities mostly green, the exception gold down a little. 1,762, Brent 83.86, Platinum $1,007 an ounce, Palladium 1,867. Rand 17.07, Bitcoin 16,310 cent, trading up 3.9% in the Hong Kong lunch break. And top 40 looking for a 460 point open, that is to the green side 0.7%. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Turning now with Jimmy Moyaha, independent analyst. Jimmy, appreciate the early morning time. We're soon going to have two Zedas on the market, which is going to confuse us all. Uh, but we're talking this morning, the Zeda with the A, which is Avis and Budget and the like. Uh, they put out uh, prospectus and everything yesterday. Uh, not a bad looking business. I just can't help thinking that they look like it's kind of, I don't know, peak of the market as the, the car hire companies are going to start stocking up and, well, prices will come down. Morning, Simon. Yeah, I mean, from Zeta's perspective, they yeah they've they've sort of had. Um, well, they think this is an opportune time to to be listing. They, mm-hmm. They've looked at a couple of factors, and they're thinking the automotive space is going to show some signs of recovery. Um, they did acknowledge, of course, that they'd been um, buying things like new cars at, at premiums because they'd been struggling to get stock, and that was obviously for the as a result of the supply chain disruptions we've seen um, that have been happening since sort of since COVID, so since mm. about 2020, 2021. So, I mean, from their side, they're anticipating that once that starts to normalize and once they start to then um, return to normality in terms of flow, they're going to be able to get more for the cars on the second-hand market when they then defleet them, um, but also that the in- there'll be an increase in uh, number of new hires. I mean, what was surprising about that update that I saw was they said that their utilization rate of their rental fleet was sitting at about 79%. Now, that's, that's, that's fairly high. I mean, yeah. considering... <laughs> 
that considering that the, the tourism space hasn't really recovered as much to pre-pandemic levels, considering people haven't been um, traveling as much as they would have been in 2019, maybe 2018 as well, um, for them to still achieve such a high utilization rate is quite impressive. Yeah, that, that was quite a, a chunky number. But i got to say, I mean, I haven't hired a car since before the pandemic. Your prices have gone up. And if it's peak periods, busy weekends, you just can't get them. City Lodge, trading update. I, I, I mean, I, I'm holding City Lodge because I was, frankly, hoping for this update. It arrived. Um, and, and they're getting occupancies. I mean, November occupancies, 60%. I mean, that is proper profitable. Although, of course, this is a different business. They, they've done a massive dilution uh, uh, in, 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 in the operations and issuing new shares. They have, but I've also been bullish on City Lodge, and I've also been waiting on this update. <laughs> I'm so glad it's here. I, I've given up. I mean, I've given up City Lodge as a preferred stock pick on a number of occasions in the last yep. year, maybe year and a half, to just say th- they've taken the brunt of. The, the the tourism space and the hospitality space in terms of uh, their share price and all of that. You've seen guys like Toho Sun, Sun International, all of that have recovered um, a lot quicker in terms of share price. You saw that Toho Sun Gaming has also now shown signs of recovery when they released their results as well. Um, but what we didn't see with City Lodge was for the longest time, they, they stayed below the five rand. And at that level, they were ridiculously discounted. I mean, we saw at the mm-hmm. start of October, I think they dipped down to about three rand 60 a share. We're back above five rand a share. The results are looking good. And I think the we've spoken about this, you and I at length, to say that the model that they're using with um, offering the additional services, offering the, the lunch and dinners that are now being preferred yeah. to um, the hotel setup, that for them in the long run is going to be good, especially if we look at what we just spoke about with Zida and, and translate that into the, the tourism space and the fact that um, costs are going up. So average rental costs are going up. Um, City Lodge has said average room rates are going up and all of that. And yet City Lodge, uh, Road Lodge, Town Lodge, that whole family remains one of the most affordable um, in terms of booking accommodation. And they are giving you good quality for and value for money for what you're booking. So I'm actually quite impressed with their occupancy levels. It'll be nice to see if we um, can push those occupancy levels um, towards the 70% level, but yep. 60% for them, very, very good coming up from 52% in July. Yeah, and, and they've done 70 before, of course, pre-pandemic. And I just realized it's uh, just over a year since we got that Omicron uh, when everyone suddenly banned us November 26 last year and everything did collapse. But uh, yeah, that was when I was buying things. have come back to me. Independent analyst, always appreciate the early morning insights. Hear that? Nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Standler Balanced Cautious Fund, we manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation-beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at standler.com forward slash more. Standler is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. I'm chatting with Stephen Joffe, Invicta CEO. Results for six months ending September. So revenue up 7.2%. Headline earnings per share up 35%. No interim dividend. Stephen, appreciate the time. Let's start with that interim dividend. Invicta pre-pandemic typically had paid, but what you've done in this period is you've been quite aggressively buying back both Invicta shares and the uh, preference shares. Absolutely, and that's how we allocated the capital that we otherwise might have allocated to dividends. So we feel very comfortable with our decision. We think the decision to buy back shares was, was a good one. 
Moving to, to the numbers, as I said, revenue up 7.2%, uh, cost of sales up only 4.1%. You're certainly, I mean, I, I imagine there's a couple of moving parts in there, but it is what, what's been happening in Vic the last couple of years. Really, it's efficiency of operations. Yeah, listen, it's, uh, I mean, the, the, those numbers really are, are underlying the local uh, situation in South Africa and how tough the local industrial uh, situation actually is. I think, um, you know, we've done well out of agriculture, we've done well out of mining. Mm. So, so, like, we've really done well out of many sectors. But the, um, you know, the pure industrial player has to, has to really run through with all the load shedding. Plus, we had the floods in, in, in KZN in April. And over and above that, as you said, it's not exactly uh, like for like. In the mm. period, we also had um, BE transactions, which… Oh, you know, which sort of reduced the revenue. So, you know, if, if I consider everything all in, I think that, that sort of revenue growth with the, with the activities on the ground, we're pretty happy. Yeah, you, you mentioned the floods, your replacement parts and services, that's the industrial part. Uh, they had KZN floods. Is, is that now back to normal? Yeah, absolutely. It's back to normal and we're supplying all our traditional customers and things things are like really running a lot better than they were at the beginning of the year. You mentioned ESCOM. Of course, that's not back to normal. Uh, for, for a business like yours, the, the, the power cuts see either a major headache or, or a major cost. Um, Simon, it's a, it's, it's a big problem. But you, you know what's, what's amazed me is how our industrial um, clients have managed to transition and managed by and large to keep operational uh, with all these power cuts. So I'm almost amazed at how strong our like, industrial clients have been with, with all the load shedding that's been going on. Yeah, I take your point in that, and it is. I mean, it. it someone said to me recently, it's always been tough being a business owner in South Africa, just the toughness or what it is particularly uh, changes. How are supply chains operating? I mean, we, we've, my sense is they're definitely improving. Of course, you've got perhaps an added complication on the, the, the war in Ukraine at, at, at the same time. Yeah, so certainly in the last few weeks, we've seen the availability of products shorten incredibly. So... It's happened really, really quickly, and I, and I think you'll be able to, to reduce your inventory levels on the back of this uh, supply availability. What you've got to caution against and you, what you've got to watch is the, the um, COVID uh, situations in, in China. And if the factories that supply you can be impacted by five-week lockdowns, you have to have enough inventory like on your, on your shelves to cater for that situation. So we've worked through that quite carefully, and we've increased inventory in South Africa in, in our um, industrial businesses just to cater for that, uh, um, you know, event. You mentioned increasing inventories, and, and certainly the number has been uh, moving up from where it was a, a year ago. Some of that, I imagine, there's also the the acquisition, which, uh, if my memory serves, came in from first to Jan. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, so at least half the acquisition, the half the the inventory increase is just purely attributable to our new acquisition, KMP, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very happy with that acquisition, and we are hopeful that that will generate at least 12.5% return on our investment plus the additional inventory that we've invested there. Okay. Acquisitions. I mean, I, the few times you've spoken over the last couple of years, acquisitions have definitely been in your radar. You've always said that you're, you're going to take a very, uh, what's the word I'd look for, a, a careful. You're not going to run into an acquisition. Are, are you still looking potentially for, for something that fits? So Simon, we looked at so many companies in the last six months, and we did so many like you know desktop due diligence. And each time, uh, we came to the conclusion that our investment in our own business was better, and ultimately we'll end up buying back our own shares. Okay. Yeah. So we'll constantly look at new style, like new opportunities, 
and would evaluate that against the, you know, the, 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 um, the opportunities that are really available to Invicta, which is buying back its own shares. Take your point on that. And, and you talk around that. I mean, your, your SA is now 79% of revenue. It was 86 a year ago. You, your stated target is to get it to 50-50. What sort of timeline are you looking at? We, we've given ourselves, I think, four years, and we just don't want to have pressure to do bad deals. But mm-hmm. certainly, I mean, in this period that we've just seen, our offshore contribution was well in excess of 40%. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to be a tall order for us to reach 50% over four years. And you can almost, in a sense, do it organically as, as, as you grow the different divisions. Absolutely. Uh, last question. Is there much seasonality? I mean, I, I, you know, I, my, my, my thinking is, and this is from a complete uh, uh, outsider, sort of like you know, shutdowns over the Christmas holidays and the like. Do you, do you experience much of that? Do you have a, a sort of a, a less thrilling H2 simply because of seasonality? Yeah, so typically I would imagine that the year is like divided into 11 months, six being in our first half and five yeah. being in the second half to cater for December and Chinese New Year. You know, oh, we have a course. big, you know, Singaporean business with Chinese factories. So we have to have to think about that too. But it also takes place January, February. So uh, your point is absolutely correct. Uh, I would anticipate like a, an 11 month year for Invicta with five mm-hmm. in the second half. Yeah, I like that. That's Sorry, good yeah. 11 month year makes sense. Six in the first, five in the second. We leave it there. And Victor, CEO Stephen Joffe, always appreciate the time. And that's our poll today around that dividend where uh, uh, Victor said, nope, they're going to buy back shares. Look, they bought back 4.7% of equity, 5% of PREF shares. It is tax efficient, but do you perhaps prefer a cash dividend, which you will pay 20% dividend withholding tax? Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and Twitter. There's no postponing the inevitable. Your money knew this day would come. And you know what? It can hardly wait to start giving some back to you. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Turning now with Dino Sokola from Westbrook Alternative Asset Management. Dino, always appreciate the early morning time. Uh, private debt, I mean, much like private equity, but of course it is, it is debt within it. This, is, this has become a, a, a quite a popular asset class, and particularly in this, in this uh, inflationary environment, it, frankly, offering some decent yields. Yeah, good morning, Simon, and thank you for making the time. You're correct. Private debt has become one of the world's fastest-growing alternative asset classes. To give you some statistics, at the moment, private debt assets have grown uh, at a mid-teens annual growth rate and currently, in terms of at least a global view, comprise $1.4 trillion of investments around the world. And it's anticipated that private debt will become the world's second-largest alternative asset class by next year. I suppose the question is, what has driven this? And yeah. a lot of it at the moment, Simon, has to do with the tough macroeconomic environment that we find ourselves in. Obviously, with interest rates rising around the globe steeply, uh, there's an associated set of impacts that are quite difficult for investors to, to, to handle. The first, of course, is that there's a lot of volatility in the fixed income markets, especially in bonds, where, for example, if you have a fixed rate bond and interest rates go up, they tend to lose value. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolute yields on cash are still quite low around the world. Um, and unfortunately, there's a statistical relationship between rising interest rates and falling equities. And so I suppose in that environment, investors are saying, well, inflation is high. 
we need to invest in something. The traditional markets aren't perhaps giving us what we need. What can we turn to that's different? What can we turn to that's uncorrelated? What can we turn to that is tax efficient and that can give us higher yields? And I think private debt from many of those aspects is, is ticking the boxes. And, and who, I mean, who, who are you lending to? I mean, is this uh, sort of, I don't know, I'm thinking corporates, I'm thinking, I'm thinking REITs and, and, and the like, who, who perhaps need, I don't know, duration might be shorter. What is your, your, your typical client? Yeah, it's a good question. And it depends on the geographies in which you're operating. Mm-hmm. So we at Westbrook operate in the UK and in South Africa in the private debt markets. Mm-hmm. Both of those markets are fundamentally different. The UK has a market where the traditional lenders don't really like to operate at loan tickets of less than £20 million. This is because the costs of implementation are simply too high for them relative to the mm-hmm. reward. And so in the UK, we're tending to lend a lot against real estate, where your security is a bond against the property, at a smaller ticket size and for a shorter duration. If you contrast that, Simon, to South Africa, in South Africa, the big banks are pretty good at fishing in a small pond. (laughs) And so in real estate, it's a lot harder to extract higher returns than the level of risk you need to take. And so in South Africa, we've taken a slightly different focus from a niche perspective, looking at specific industries. And those industries include things like lending to businesses who inherently themselves are lenders. The banks Mm -hmm. don't like to, to lend to a competitor in South Africa. Uh, we also focus in South Africa on real estate holding companies and a little bit of niche real estate where there's too much complexity for the incumbent lenders just to handle. You, you point around the security because my next question is going to be, I mean, you, you've obviously, you know, if I invest into the fund, there are going to be multiple loans within it. So I'm not taking a uh, single uh, uh, loan risk, but there is credit risk. And I imagine you, I mean, you and your team are, are much like bankers running those numbers. And you mentioned getting security in, in, in terms of property to, to uh, you're never going to reduce risk to zero, but to reduce the, the potential risks. Now, that's 100% right, and I think it's one of the fundamentals of any investment, specifically in alternatives, is that mm-hmm. you need to back an experienced investment team who have done this for a period of time and understand how to structure debt, mm-hmm. how to enforce security, and how to ensure that in, in an event where things do go wrong, one is able to act in a manner that protects capital. And there's a variety of ways you can do that. One of the best, as you mentioned, is to invest through a fund. Yeah. Uh, where you have exposure to dozens of different underlying loads. And then the second is to back an experienced team where you have the ability to enforce security. And obviously, enforcing security isn't an overnight procedure. It takes time and it takes experience and it requires a manager who's done it uh, for a period of time. Your, your returns uh, in, in, in sterling, your, your sterling fund 9 to 10%, your ZAR fund 13 to 14%. Were these as, as, as normality returns? And I don't know if that's next year or in five years, and interest rates start coming down and the like. Will these have a lag effect, but obviously also start to, to, to edge lower? Yeah, correct. So it's one of the big advantages of alternatives in the sense that they're generally seen, uh, specifically private debt, is generally seen as a in, is, as an interest rate or inflation hedge investment. Mm-hmm. So in both instances, more than 80% of the loans are linked to base rates. In South Africa, it's referenced to prime. In the UK, it's referenced to the Bank of England base rates. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the loans float. But the advantage, uh-huh. I suppose, Simon, is that they float at a yield far in excess of what one can get. I, I don't think of private debt. You, you know, we must talk about trade-offs. There's no free mm. lunch in life. You don't ever get anything for free. <laughs> And uh, this is why I say it's not a case of either or. One doesn't invest only in private debt or in the traditional bond and fixed income funds. It might be a bit of both. And the reason for that is that the trade-off when making a private debt investment is that you're locked in 
for a period of time. So yeah. in the case of the UK, you've got to invest for 18 months. You can't get your money out for that period of time. In South Africa, it's 12 months. I mean, in both instances, you can give six months notice to get your cash out. So the give is that you lock in your money for a period of time. But the take is that to your point, in the UK, 9 to 10% in sterling, if you compare that to a two-year fixed deposit, that will get you 35 to 4% in sterling. And so the return is more than double. In SA, a 24-month fixed deposit is probably at 85 to 9% in rents. Yeah. Whereas in, you know, in the private debt investment, you're now at 14. And there are other advantages as well, things like lack of correlation to the traditional markets. There isn't yeah. that volatility that you see specifically in listed bonds. Um, and by playing in clever niches of markets, what you can also do is, number one, reduce your risk profile, or at least make it different to what you're getting in the listed markets. And you can get clever with things like tax as well. Yeah, and I'd say that. And uncorrelated, I mean, the, the, the whole private investing space, equity, debt, it's that uncorrelation and that less volat- lower volatility, which is hugely important. But I also like your point, there's give and take. You give up a bit, but then you get that yield. We leave it there, Dina Zocola, Westbrook Alternative Asset Management. Appreciate the early morning insights. That's it for today. Yesterday, we were chatting with Carl Wales from Flagship Asset Management. We were talking around uh, uh, higher inflation and, and preferred asset class to sort of beat inflation. A third of you were still big on gold, saying absolutely, uh, just over a third. A third was saying, yep, REITs, and Carl had some clever ideas around the, the REITs, it's the short-term contracts, storage, uh, 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 hotels, uh, and the like. And the rest were saying, nope, not so worried about inflation at all. Have your vote, have your say, Twitter and LinkedIn. The show is brought to you by Stanlip. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning, the MoneyWeb website and the app at 6.30 a.m. podcast just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie Nbuchle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their early morning. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow. We've got Roynet. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.